0: As you're being seated. We're gonna do something a little different this morning, and I'm gonna ask Tyler to come. and uh, We're gonna go ahead. If you're visiting with us, we generally have the liturgy after the sermon. But the nature of the sermon this morning, I, I wanted to try doing the liturgy before, so we're gonna do part of it. You can go ahead and take your hymn book and turn to page 12. And Tyler's gonna lead us in the invitation. He's gonna ask God's blessing and anointing on the table. The reason I'm doing that because the latter part of what we normally read, I'm preaching from that scripture, and so uh, I just think it will flow better based on the sermon, so if you would, go ahead and turn to page 12, and let me remind you, if you're visiting with us, in the United Methodist Church, we do have open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to share in communion, so when we take communion after the sermon, we invite you to come. The ushers will guide you, uh, but you're more than welcome to share with us, uh, Tyler. Tyler. You are forgiven. Glory Glory to to God. God.
1: Amen. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.
0: And everyone said, Amen. The flowers this morning uh, are here because of uh, Jim Martin, you saw there in the bulletin. He is not able to be here this morning, but the Martin Sunday School class gave him a beautiful birthday party on Friday night here at the church with music and everything. And he was able to be there. And uh, so we celebrated his 99th birthday, which was Friday night, September the 1st. So we wish him and uh, Pat grace and love this morning and thank God for him. Sermon title of this morning is Being Honest About Sin. Being Honest About Sin. The Word of God is pretty honest about it, and we, we read and we see in the Word that it talks about sin. Y'all know we live in a society in the world that less and less really cares, Not even they don't even mention the word sin, but yet, as believers, we ought to know it's one of the major problems. It's why we're coming to this table. It's all a part of that. So I want to begin by reading Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5. And as I read the psalmist, he's being very honest of how he dealt with sin, and Think about your own self. Do you sometimes try to hide sin? Well, you hear what he says, and he's very honest about it. So Psalms 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And he says in verse 3, he said, when I, when I kept silent, my bones grew old, and through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand, God, your hand was heavy upon me, and my, my very vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And he says, Selah, amen. He's being very honest about sin. Tells us that our transgressions can be forgiven, but then he says if I hid it from the Lord. I, I wanted to keep silent about it, but I became miserable. Now, don't jump up and shout, but if any of you ever felt miserable? I have. More than I want to count. But I got to be honest. I, I could write Psalms 32, and you could write your own version too. He doesn't end there, though. He, he he says in verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin and he says Selah again amen so be it so the psalmist is very honest are you honest are you honest about sin Then I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, which this is the scripture that's actually a part of the liturgy that we didn't read. So I wanted to use it as a text. So we know that in all the gospels, and especially in Luke, it almost gives us specifically what Paul repeats here in 1 Corinthians 11. So here's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed he took a piece of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you, or given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you know in the liturgy we say that, and we know that every time we take communion, he has instructed us, he's commanded us, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my body was given for you. Then he visually holds up a cup in front of them. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then Paul adds in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes back. So a key part of communion is us just remembering every single time we take it what Jesus did for us. We we, we are forced to, we are commanded to remember his body. We're, we're forced to remember that night before he's headed to the cross. We're forced to remember that he gave his body and that he gave his blood for us. And we remember and we proclaim his death every time we do this. That's what he tells us to do. The Bible mentions the word sin from from the first book, you know, in Genesis. We're already in sin by chapter 3. And then the rest of the book, it mentions sin in all the books in the Bible. And then at the very end, at the back cover, we're still talking about the sin issue and the sin problem. Sin is why we need a Savior. Every human... Every human is infected and affected by sin. Can I get amen? We are. We're, we're infected by it, but we're affected by it. By others, there's sinfulness. And so we are fully aware of it, or it should be. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Word of God teaches us this. Psalms 51 five even tells us, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And then Romans 3.23 tells us, you know that, that verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth about sin and the sin condition. I have two beautiful, wonderful grandchildren, the most beautiful child, boy, and girl ever created by humans. Can I, no, I won't ask you for an amen on that. But, but I like them. I love them. A little Favor. Now, Madeline, y'all know, is 10 years old. But Favor's just a little over six months old. And I was playing with him yesterday. I was holding him up. And he's laughing and grinning. And he's just making sounds. And he's slobbering everywhere because he's cutting teeth. And he's getting it back. It came out this morning. Audra, Texas. He got his first little tooth coming in. But he's argh, argh, and he's making all them kind of sounds. And I'm right in there with him. I'm laying in the floor making them and ooing and God. As much as I love him beautiful as they are I have to accept the truth in God's word that they are born into sin and I thank God for my daughter Audra that is going to teach favor my son-in-law Blake and I thank God for Dave and Jamie they're teaching Madeline you, you need a savior you've got a sin problem we need to teach our children that because it's the truth but thank God for this table and what it we remember Him. So I want Favor and Madeline to know that they are born into sin and that they are all sinners. We all are. We need a Savior. And again, thank God for parents that teach their children this fact. Here's another fact about sin. Before I give you this fact, just remember that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Everything. He's omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere. Everywhere. And we're not always aware of its presence. That's, that's the problem. But we know he's omniscient and he is, he's omnipresent. So God is actually present every time a sin is committed. He's present every time a theft occurs. He's present every time someone lies. He's there. He hears it. He knows. He is between two adulterers. No matter who commits the sin, a common criminal, a preacher, a politician, a teacher, nothing ever slips away without his knowledge and without his presence. That's a fact about sin. Here's another fact. Time does not erase our moral transgressions. Time may make it better, we may kind of forget about it, but time itself does not erase our moral transgressions. They are offensive to God and time does not remove it, it doesn't hide it, and it doesn't fade it. It's still present. It's still real. It still has to be dealt with. Time doesn't fade it. It doesn't move it away. The writer of Psalms 32 knew that he'd sinned against God, just like when you and I do, and yet he decided to keep silent. As a consequence of that silence his life deteriorated. Have you ever tried to avoid facing your sin after you become a believer? You know conviction is miserable. Thank God. What happened to you when you tried to keep silent about it or hide it? We must resist the temptation to minimize and try to rationalize the deadliness of sin. And those are just a few facts, but nothing I've said so far is as radical as Jesus puts it. Now, I've preached on this before, but I want to just read it. It's, it's uncomfortable even to read, and then we have to wrestle with it. What exactly did Jesus mean when he said this about sin? But boy, does he get our attention in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 8. If your hand or your foot Causes you to sin and cut it off and cast it from you. It's better, he said, for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet than to be cast into everlasting fire. What a, what a visual. Then he doesn't end, he said, and if your eye which that happens to a lot of us, that eye, our eye causes you to sin, then Jesus said, pluck it out and, and, and cast it from you. It's better, he said, for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell fire. I don't even know what to say. Really mean that? You know, if we did that every time we sinned, y'all, we'd be sitting here, everyone of us would be blind and nubless. You're talking about getting our attention. He literally said it. And he literally means it's serious. I mean, we 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 have to say Jesus. My goodness. So many humans are delusional into thinking that sin is insignificant. If we didn't have any other text but that one, you'd have to go, man, sin is significant. It's a problem. Another fact, once we commit sin, once we commit sin, we have no capacity or ability to take that sin out of existence. The only hope, for us, is to allow God to do what only God can do. And that is because of his just mercy and because of his grace, he is able, when we confess our sin, thank God for that scripture that says he's able to have the sin cast as far as the east is from the west. He has the power. That's why we come to this table. When Jesus instated the Lord's Supper, He told His followers, remember. Every time you take communion, and those of us who grew up in some churches emphasize communion more often than others, but whenever we do, He said, I want you to remember my body. So if you're sincere about coming to the altar, which we should be, and if we have a repentant heart, you can't help but when you taste that bread, and whether it's a cracker or a wafer, whatever the symbol is, but it, it is just a pure reminder of, of Christ's body. And Whether we take wine or grape juice, as we do, but it still it's just a reminder that every time we do, we have to remember His body and His blood. Communion demands, it demands that we proclaim His death. And visualize the cross every time we take communion. I ask you, why did Jesus choose to use such an extreme visual teaching method? Why do that? And you know that most Protestant churches have two sacraments. One is Holy Communion and the other is Baptism. At the heart and the problem of both of them and the teaching of both of them is the fact that we're sinners. The very very symbolism of taking water is the washing, the cleansing of our sins. And so every time we take communion, we have to remember we're sinners. We have to remember somebody had to die for us. And so Jesus makes us remember every time. Powerful visual teaching method. The reason is, there's a lot of scripture I could quote I'll just quote one John 824 he said this John 8:24 therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins for if you do not believe that i am he if you don't believe and accept me as the Messiah you will die in your sins John 824 I think that's why he has such an extreme visual because he knows that we'll die in our sins The only place, and this is a quote from Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. I shared with you all, I have high respect for him. He passed away in his 90s back in the spring, but he made this statement. I mentioned earlier that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But when you and I as believers and the word of God gets in our hearts and we're aware of our sin, this is a true statement Dr. Dennis Kinlaw the only place that we can discover that we are sinners is in God's presence. That's why in Isaiah Isaiah called out after in Isaiah the 6th chapter after he, he got in the holy presence of God all he could say is woe is me I'm undone I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips woe is me. So the only place that we discover that we are sinners is in God's presence but thank God he convicts us and brings that to us so that we can repent. I read earlier, 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and He is able to forgive us and to purify us of all of our unrighteousness. I want to share a story with you. I read it out of a devotion. Perhaps you've read it as well. The reference point, One of the reference points in the city of London is the Charing Cross, C-H-A-R-I-N-G. The Charing Cross, you may have been to London and know where I'm talking about. There's the Charing train station. It's a central location. It's near the geographical center of the city of London. And it serves as a navigational tool where several main streets and a train terminal come together. The Charing Cross, which I looked online, is not that that large, but it sets up atop a huge monument in that area. So the cross literally is there. that was put there sometime like in 1863. But it sits there in London, England. A little girl, story is told, she was lost in the great city of London. A policeman found her. She was crying and she was frantic. And in between the sobs and the and the tears, she explained she didn't know her way home. Well, he asked her if, if she knew her address. She didn't. He asked, What well, do you? Honey, do you know your phone number? You know your mom and dad's phone number? She didn't know that either. But when he asked her what she didn't know, suddenly her face lit up. She said, I know the cross. I know the cross. She said, you show me the cross and I can find my way home from there. So can you. So can I, thank God. Keep a clear vision Of the cross, and you can find your way home. I think that's why Jesus wants us to take communion often, and I think that's exactly why He said, You need to remember my body and my blood. You need to remember my death every time you take it, because that'll get you home. Communion demands that we look at the cross and the one who died on it. Y'all remember the old song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he knew that. That's why we take communion. It is a visual, communion is a visual demonstration of the gospel. Through the Christ on the cross, you and I can come home. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we pray. God, we cannot praise you enough. We cannot cannot thank you enough. Forgive us that we don't praise you and glorify you enough for this table. It is the gospel. So I pray that you will bless us all as we come. And thank you, God. Through it, through you, we're going to go home. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.